There we go, we have liftoff. Fantastic. Great. Well, let me start off by saying good evening to you. And thank you so much for the uh, possibility, the opportunity of, of, of coming again. I, I really enjoyed coming to this uh, family of God's people. It, it's a great uh, privilege and uh, I always enjoy the visits that I have. I'm excited that we have the opportunity of doing a little kind of study together uh, over uh, a few weeks, so that's really good. But I wanted this evening just to start off by talking to you a little bit by way of preparation for this study. I know you've been through Discipleship Explorer and that's that's really a good thing, but we're gonna look a little bit more at discipleship. But because you've all been through it, you'll be able to pull me up if I get it wrong. So that's uh, that'll be a challenge and a, and a good thing. I want to um, try to give us some encouragement with regard to the future and, and why we ought to be uh, seeking to be real disciples. Do you remember the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel? The very, almost the very last words that Jesus said to the disciples in the church. You remember, it says, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he was establishing his right to say what he was going to say. Then he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Glad I didn't meet him on the way over. That's Moody's part on a Sunday night. That's Moody's part on a Sunday night. Well, there you go. Anyway, let's just refresh our minds. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now these were just about the last words that Jesus spoke to the disciples. Not quite the last words, but just about really important. And in this Great Commission, we get a command. And there's sometimes a little confusion about what the command is. Some people think that when Jesus said, therefore go, that the command was to go. But that's actually misleading because literally translated, it, it, it just says going therefore. Because we're all going somewhere. It might be to the post office, it might be the cafe next door, it might be the shop, whatever. We're all going somewhere. So the command is interesting. He says that we are to first of all make disciples. Well, the question is, what is a disciple? We're to make disciples, whatever a disciple is. And it's not just selectively of ones and twos, but it's of all nations. So this wasn't just relevant for Israel or Palestine as it was. It's relevant for us here in Moodysburg. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the next thing we're told is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's another command that's wrapped up in that and then there's a third one teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you so we have to we have to baptize we have to uh, teach people to obey what, what what have they got to obey any ideas is it obey the minister <laughs> no no it's not what is it to obey the 
the word of God. Absolutely right, yeah. That is the biggest problem in many churches today. And what's that? It's a closed Bible, isn't it? You see, we have to obey what's in the Bible. And if we're to obey what's in the Bible, we have to know what's in the Bible. So we ask the question, what is a disciple? Well, the first thing we, we know is that a disciple is somebody who has met Jesus. Jesus has become their Lord and Savior. And they're plugged into God's word because God's heart is revealed in his word. And if we want to know what God's like, we, we go to his word and we discover what God's like and we discover what God uh, likes, what he appreciates, what makes him weep. And, and the more we get to know him, the amazing thing is the more like him we become. Now, if you look in the mirror, you might wonder how on earth could any of us ever become like God? But that's what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does in our, in our lives. He changes us and makes us more like God. So being plugged into the word of God is really, really important. So a disciple is somebody who, first of all, knows Jesus and who's plugged into God's word. But there's something else. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And that's really important that we that we get hold of that. A disciple is a follower of Jesus because that little word contains a lot of stuff that's very interesting. It implies movement, doesn't it? So if I said to, to Graham, Graham, stand up there. And if I said, Graham, I want you to follow me. All right, I want you to follow me. Well, what's happening? He, well, he's not following me. Isn't that terrible? And if he's not following me, isn't there a distance opening up between us? And if, thanks, Graham. If Jesus said, follow me, and, and we just stand up for Jesus, but don't step out for Jesus, there's going to be a gap opening up between us. And if there's a gap opening up between us, we might almost be losing touch. And that's not the kind of relationship that God wants for us. Now, where do I base that on? Well, there's a real good, there's a really significant thing, I think, in the Bible that teaches us this. Do you know what the first three words that Jesus spoke to Peter are? And you know what the last four words that Jesus spoke to Peter are? This, this is very significant for us. Well, let me tell you, the first three words that Jesus spoke to uh, Peter were, was when Peter was mending his nets, remember? And Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So the first three words Jesus said were, come follow me. And, and that's really what he says to us. Now, he may have said it to us in a church service. He may have said it to us in the privacy of our own bedrooms, our own homes. But he says the same thing to all of us. Come, follow me. I heard him say that to me when I was 22 and a half. The half was very important. 22 and a half. Come, follow me. 
And I've been trying to follow him ever since. But what's really interesting is what Peter and the others did. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Right? So it wasn't all right for them to say, great, Lord, we're following you. We'll see you later. On you go. We'll follow you. No, immediately they got up and they left what they were doing. Now, what they were doing was obviously important to them because they were fishermen. It was their livelihood. But following Jesus became even more important. Those are the first three words that Jesus said to the disciples. Come, follow me. Do you know what the last four words that Jesus said? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the background, the last four words. You will remember that when Jesus began to teach the disciples that he was going to suffer and die on the cross, that Peter said, no, no, Lord, that's, that, no, 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 that, you know, he didn't, that didn't fit in with Peter's idea of what should happen. And Jesus turned and he said to Peter, Satan, get behind me. Because those words came not from God, but the temptation to Jesus to avoid the pathway that God the Father had for him. Well, we were, remember that, um, that Jesus told Peter before the cock crows, he'll deny me three times. And we remember that happened, didn't it? He denied Jesus three times. In fact, the last time Jesus lifted up his head and looked at him and their eyes met across the courtyard and Peter went out and he was in bits, because I think he was in bits, we're not given detail. He must have felt, you know, I've blown it. I'm the biggest failure that has ever been. And what did he do? Well, we know that he wasn't at Calvary because he ran away like all the other men. The women didn't run away, but the men did. Well, he decided, well, I might as well go back to my old way of life. I'll go fishing. But Peter, being Peter, decided that he wasn't going to go on his own. He was going to bring others with him. So they went out and they fished all night and they caught nothing. It was pointless. They caught nothing. Remember what happened? All of a sudden, in the early hours of the morning, they saw a figure on the shore. And they weren't far from the shore. It was Jesus. And he said, have you got any fish? We fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus said, cast your net in. So they did. And John was looking, thinking, that looks like Jesus. And uh, they put their nets in because Jesus had told them to. And there was 153 fish. The net was almost breaking. And John said to Peter, that's the Lord, that's Jesus. So Peter, he wraps his robe around him and he jumps out of the boat. So it mustn't have been too far from the shore. And he makes his way to shore and he discovers that Jesus has cooked breakfast for him. Now, amazing, little fire there. He fished all night, he'd caught nothing. He was probably cold and probably hungry. So he had a fish shovel for breakfast, which was probably a good thing for him. And then, do you remember there was a conversation with Jesus and Peter? 
And do you remember what <coughs> Jesus said? John 21, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And that wasn't, Jesus didn't stop there. He said, again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Peter had denied Jesus three times. So three times Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Well, I think that Peter was feeling uncomfortable because sometimes when God speaks to us through his word, we kind of feel it in our hearts. It, it may be gets our attention a little bit because it makes us feel uncomfortable. How kind God is to do that. Because if he didn't do that, we wouldn't listen to him at all. But he does it. And then, uh, Jesus said, very truly, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So right at the beginning, Jesus says, come follow me. And here, just at the end, Jesus says, follow me. But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. Because Peter's heart was feeling so tender and the words of Jesus were, were kind of sticking into him like a pin into his heart. That Peter did what we do when God does that to us. We kind of think, Lord, I hope that old fellow down the back is listening to this. Oh, you see that lady, she really needs it. What about them, Lord? And that's what Peter did. He, he turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, was following them. This was the one who leaned against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then he says the last four words, you must follow me. So from that, we learn that the Christian life begins with following Jesus and it ends with us still following. So the whole of the Christian life means following him every single day. The Christian life is all about following. So how do we follow? Well, I want to try to explain to you what actually happens in the Christian life when we, when we come to Jesus. Now, I know our experiences are all different. When I became a Christian, I met some folks and very helpfully they said to me, Mike, there's some things you need to do now that you're a Christian. You need to worship God. 
You, you, you need to be with God's people. You need to read the word of God and pray. And then they said, you need to tell somebody else that you know Jesus. And those four things were a real help to me. But all of our stories are very different. I don't know when you came to faith in God, Graham. Maybe you were very young. Seven. Isn't that wonderful? We all have different stories. And the reason we have different stories is because our coming to Jesus is very personal. We all come in different ways at different times. And that's just is because our sin against God is personal. So our forgiveness is wonderfully personal too. I find it absolutely amazing that God, who is so great, so majestic, so beautiful, so holy, would actually want to have anything to do with me. But he does. He wants to have a relationship with each one. And so he's reached out and touched us in different ways. We all have different stories to tell, and that's wonderful. But I want to just show you what kind of happens. Now, there's a, a continuum. Just imagine that that represents, that line represents somebody's life. And, and you have there a, a number of little figures. Uh, and, and you have right at the end of the line here, you have somebody who doesn't know Jesus, but, but then comes to the cross and what happens after that. And we just want to, we know that people only come to faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, uh, it doesn't make sense. I, I tried to read the Bible before I became a Christian, but it was like reading the telephone directory. I couldn't make sense of it at all. It was just difficult. So we ask ourselves, okay, that continuum, what is it that helps us grow in discipleship? Well, we know it's the Holy Spirit, but what are the growth triggers? Well, interestingly enough, the, the, the first thing that very often brings someone to Jesus, as well as the Holy Spirit, is friendship, is friendship. So we make friends with somebody, and we see that their lives are just a little bit different, that maybe they go through, through some tragedy, some bereavement, and instead of going out and getting drunk, the way some folks do, they kind of cope with it differently. And we begin to say, you're, you're a bit different. Explain to me how, how you're coping with this, because I couldn't cope the way you seem to cope. So friendship is very often the growth trigger that brings someone to faith in Christ. And, and you could draw kind of a little arrow either through the cross or over the cross. Well, then you have a picture of a little man in an armchair. You may have heard the expression, somebody's been saved and stuck. You see, you can come to Jesus and you can think, fantastic, I've got my fire insurance sorted out. That's me. I'm going back to the party that's called life. It's all, it's all taken care of. But that's not what God has for us. He wants so much more for us. Remember, following implies movement, doesn't it? So it's not enough for us to just simply stand up for Christ. We have to stand up for Christ and step out. It's not enough to stand up and stay still because Jesus said, follow me. 
And you saw what happened when Graham didn't follow. A gap opened up. So we have to stand up for Christ and we have to step out for Christ because we're following. There is growth. You know, growth. So it's not enough to come to Jesus and then think, that's it, I'm, I'm all sorted out, I can now go back to the party that's called life. No. The next growth trigger is, is, to, is to get involved in church because to be around God's people is a really good thing. We, we learn from one another. We are blessed through friendship and fellowship with one another. Oh, 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 the friendship that God used to bring us to Jesus is still important, but now we've got more friends. And, and fellowship with these friends, we're doing life together. What's the next growth trigger that moves us down this discipleship continuum? Well, the next growth trigger is, is actually serving in church. You know, I'm actually part of this body and I look around and I see that there are people who volunteer to do things. I think I could maybe spare a little time to go and help in the cafe now and again. Or, or I really like children. Maybe I could help with the children. I used to, when I was in ministry at the end of a, an after church social or something, I used to look around and see who it was that sorted the chairs out for the next Sunday. Or who brushed the floor and brushed the crumbs off the floor after a meal. Because there were some folks who did it without being asked. They were fulfilled in serving. It's a really good thing to serve God because the key verse in Mark's gospel is Mark 10, 45. The Son of God came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom. So he served. Now I know it's much easier for other folks to serve us. I mean, that's, you know, we feel comfortable. But if we want to be in any way like Jesus, we'll be serving others. So to get involved in serving is a really good thing. Friendships are still really important. And um, church is really important. But I'm involved, I'm serving, I'm able to give. You see, we come to church to give. And I'm not talking about money, though that's part of it. We come to give to God. And um, you heard of a lady who used to have a, a sign up above her sink in the kitchen. And it said, worship takes place here three times a day. And she washed the dishes after each meal. Because Colossians says, whatever you do, do it for Jesus. And that means that even when we're sweeping the floor, if we're doing it for Jesus, it becomes an act of worship. That, that, it's not a substitute for going to church, but it's an act of worship. So you can cut the grass and make it an act of worship if you're doing it as well as you can because you wanted to do it for him. Remember, Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. Okay, what's the next growth trigger, the, the thing that helps us to grow in our following Jesus? Well, it's this, the discovery that we have a gift. God's given me a gift. In other words, I'm part of a church and the church is moving. It's like you could picture it as a bus, but the church 
and I'm, I'm, I want to be on board that bus because I know this bus is heading in a direction and I want to go there. And it's worthwhile by me investing my time and my talents and my treasure. I want to be on that bus. And actually, not just on the bus, there is a special seat that's reserved for me. You see, God tells us that in his word that he's given each of us a gift. Wow, that's wonderful. He's given each of us a gift and we are most fulfilled when we're actually using the gift. Now, you may wonder, what, what is my gift? Well, you can ask yourself the question, what am I doing when I feel most fulfilled as a Christian? Very often that's a pointer to what God has wired you up to do. And actually, when you're doing what God has wired you up to do, that's when you feel most fulfilled. And it's sometimes it's hard work, but there's joy because you're doing it for Jesus. And you can sometimes sense his smile of approval. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We, we know that we can bring joy to the heart of God. We know that because way back in Genesis, we read that God looked down on the world and he saw the wickedness and his heart was filled with pain. Well, pain is meaningless unless you can counterbalance it with joy. And you and I have the potential to bring joy to the heart of God by the way in which we follow. So I've not just uh, stepped up for Christ. I'm not standing still. I'm stepping out for Christ because I want to follow him. I don't want a gap to open up between him and me. I just want to follow him. Well, that's wonderful, but that's not all there is. What's the next growth trigger? Well, the next growth trigger that leads us on to a fuller and a deeper discipleship has to do with the quality of our devotional lives. You see, God's heart is laid bare in his word. And if we get into the word, we, we get to know him. That's where we meet him. I mean, it's great to come to church. It's great to have friends. It's great to serve. It's wonderful to discover our gift and to serve in our area of gifting. But if we really want to follow Jesus, it will be because we get into the word of God. Because remember the Great Commission, uh, as you are going, make disciples, teaching them to obey. To obey what? Well, what's in the word? And the problem in Scotland today, if I may be so bold as an Irishman to say so, it's the same as the problem in Ireland. The national church doesn't know the word who's turned away from the word. Isn't that true? Isn't it true? And you know, we can blame preceding generations, but soon they'll be blaming us if we don't do it. So if you and I are to follow, the quality of our devotional lives is really important. And that's really what the discipleship study is all about. We're going to try to look a little bit more at what the Bible says about discipleship. We're going to be exploring, we're going to grow, we're going to 
seek to become as Christ-centered as we can. That little diagram, I found it really helpful in, in pastoral ministry because if I could work out where somebody was on that line, then I knew how I could best encourage them to, to move on. And it may be that, that some of you are exploring still. That's great. It may be that some of you have, have come to Jesus and you know him, but maybe you're a little bit stuck and you're, feeling well I, I want to move a little bit I want to follow a bit well that's wonderful uh, serving growing maybe some of you are, are are becoming disciples because you discovered your gift and you want to use it for for, for God and that's great uh, and some of you think well do you know something I really wish God would put a, a, a sense of divine dissatisfaction in my heart that I might just feel that there's something more and that I might have a longing for that so that I keep looking for, for more of Jesus. And then some of us just want to be Christ-centered so that the devotional life that we have might make us, to use an expression that Paul used in Corinthians that we might be the aroma of Christ amongst those who we live, that there might be something of the beauty of Jesus about us. He's got an awful lot of work to do in us, hasn't he? But, but don't we want him to do that? Because that's what being a disciple is. It's, it's, it's growing, it's growing. So our study starts uh, not next Sunday, but today two weeks in the evening and you're going to come along with your book i really want you to go home with the book and i want you to just read the first two pages how to use this study it will as we get into the study you have to have a pen or a pencil with you and it involves little drawing little things on the uh, on the um, on the page little symbols and you might find that frustrating i can remember we had a, a, a two days a really in-depth study we were doing in in Finlay and I was there and one of my deacons came along and at the end of the day he went home he thought this is he's frustrated drawing little squiggles on on the page over the words and he went back and he just I don't want to go tomorrow didn't enjoy that at all and then the Holy Spirit got to work on it and the Holy Spirit seemed to say to him are you not prepared to do whatever it takes to get as much as you can from my word? And he felt God was rebuking him. So he came back the next day with a, 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 a new view, Lord will you help me? And he, he used this as a study method until the day that he died. He found it such a blessing and a helpful, a help. So I want to tell you, I want to conclude by just telling you a little story about a guy who was asked to preach in a country church somewhere in England. And he turned up with his son, he turned up early and the doors were open and he walked in and there was a, a, a little uh, an offering, offering box on the top of a little pillar just inside the door. So he took out his purse and he took pound and he put it in the offering box and wandered into, this, into the church and looked over some old lady sitting there. So he 
smiling at them. And then after a while, one or two others came in and just very close to the time of starting the service, a little man rushed in and said, you're the visiting preacher. He said, yes, I am. He said, well, that's great. He said, uh, to hear the hymns and, uh, you know, God bless you. So the guy got up into the pulpit and he said, it's great to be here. And they introduced the first hymn and he went through the service and he preached his message. And at the end of the service, he, he prayed for everybody. And then he went to the door to shake hands with the folks going out. And just about the last two, he was the little old man. And the little old man came to him and said, uh, it's our custom to give the visiting preacher the contents of the offering box. So the, the, the preacher said, well, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much indeed. And he went to the offering box and he opened it up. There was one pound in it. <laughs> and you know what his son said to him? He said, Dad, if you'd have put more in, you'd have got more out. <laughs> Do you know it's just exactly the same as that when it comes to study the Bible together. So I, I have been praying that we have a real good time in God's words together. We will see what God's heart is, what God says to us in detail about being disciples. Uh, because maybe God is going to show us our, the next steps in our own life. I, I hope so. So I hope I haven't bored you. Can we pray together? Just a minute or two. Oh Lord, you are so very kind and we thank you so much that you love us and we're so grateful that you do love us. And we thank you that you don't just save us and then leave us alone, but that your heart is for a growing relationship with you. We know that we're very imperfect followers, but Lord, we really do want to follow. And we do pray, Father, that as we embark on this study on discipleship and being a disciple and counting the cost of being a disciple, that your Holy Spirit would grip our hearts and bless us, O oh Lord, and help us each one, that we might have that little sense of dissatisfaction with where we are, that we might desire to move on and to follow, to follow as well as we can that we might be the best that we can. And we pray, oh Lord, that you would help us so that we might be encouraging one another as we do this. Thank you for this opportunity. Over to you, Lord. Please make a significant blessing in the life and journey of this church family. We ask it, Father, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus.